the last word on Today FM with Matt Cooper. It's time to welcome our latest inductee to the Last Words Culture Club. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce journalist, publisher and well-known writer Emer Ryan to the show. Emer, good evening to you and thanks for joining us. Hi Frank, thanks so much for having me on. You're more than welcome. Uh, thanks for being with us. Now, I can't wait to get stuck into your cultural pleasures. But before we do that, let's talk about holding her breath. People will be very familiar with your work as a journalist and through your short stories like The Fear of Winning, which became a short film. But this is your first novel. How did this come about? And you might tell us what it's about. Absolutely. Yeah. So holding her breath is kind of a classic coming of age narrative in many ways. Um the heroine of the story is Beth Crow, who is just going into her first year of university and kind of trying to figure out her identity. And she's kind of had two very strong identity markers looming over her for, for much of her life. One is that she's a former elite swimmer and she was kind of the great hope of her local swim club and seen as somebody who could potentially be an Olympian until she kind of cr crumbled under the pressure and uh, suddenly quit competitive swimming a year before the events of the novel. So. She's kind of trying to, to pick up the pieces and maybe start to dip her toe back into the pool when we first meet her in the book. And the other kind of big identity that she has is she's the granddaughter of Benjamin Crow, who was a famous Irish poet who died tragically in the 80s. And she never knew him, of course, and she's always kind of shied away from that side of her heritage. But having started college, she meets a lot of people who are very invested in her grandfather's work and who kind of obsess over his life and death. Uh, which kind of stokes her interest and causes her to, to go back and to dig up some family secrets. Do you know what I found really interesting about some of the themes in your book and some that you've outlined there for us? Um, you know, one of the main themes is failure in sport and mental health in sport. And I just think it's really interesting considering what's happening in the Olympics. You look at the American gymnast, for example, Simone Biles, who has struggled with um, mental health issues during the games and has had to remove herself from some of the competitions. And I just think it's very interesting and very timely. It really is. It's, it's almost spooky in a way that, mm. you know, obviously when I was writing the book, I had no idea that that this was coming down the tracks. Um, not just Simone Biles, but even Naomi Osaka yeah. in the French Open a couple of months ago, who, you know, again, cited mental health issues and, and the pressures of, of competing at, at this highest level. Um, so, yeah, the, the book is kind of almost accidentally very relevant on, on that topic. Yeah. But yeah, failure in sport is, is something that I think we don't talk about enough. You know, we always hear the, the the stories of the heroics. And if there is a story about failure, it's usually kind of a precursor to, to the athlete picking themselves up and ultimately succeeding. But I thought it'd be really interesting to to just explore the story of somebody who almost makes it, but not quite and and how much of yourself did you pour into your main character, Beth? Um, not to suggest for one second that you yourself are a failure in sport, but you did have a very promising hurling uh, career back back um, in the day and that didn't go according to plan. Was that some sort of inspiration for your character? Absolutely, yeah. So many of my own kind of personal sporting feelings, I suppose, have, have gone into the character of Beth and, and this novel and... Um, yeah, I suppose when I was 17, I got called up to the, the Tipperary Senior Camogie Squad um, and it was 2004, which was very lucky for me because that's actually the last year that uh, Tip won an All-Ireland. Um, so I, I have the medal as part of, of that successful panel and it, it was an incredible experience. 
But the next year, I just kind of had a wobble, you know, and I just couldn't find my form at all. And it kind of becomes a vicious circle because if you're not performing, you kind of stop enjoying it, you know, and you you start kind of you have a lot of negative self-talk and all of that makes it so much harder to actually pick yourself up and, and start performing the way that you want to perform. Yeah, so uh, like people would be very familiar with your work as a sports columnist with the examiner. You know, I think it's fair to say you've got a particular interest in women in sport. Not surprising, given given your background. And I suppose looking at the games, looking at the Simone Biles um, uh, of this world, it is encouraging to see people now talking about that aspect and how, you know, not everybody is a winner. Not everybody goes on to achieve their hopes and dreams and that that's OK. There is a life outside and after sport. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Simone um, posted a really touching tweet um, where she said that she couldn't believe the outpouring of love and support that she got. And she had always thought that she was only as good as her performances and as good as her gymnastics. And the fact that people were expressing love and support for her, even when she wasn't competing, was kind of a revelation to her. And that that kind of made me really happy and sad at the same time, because, you know, I, I suppose when you are competing at a high level, you can, you, you tend to like tie your self-worth to your performance in sport. And of course, that's that's not going to end well. They'll say, you know, you have to kind of have an identity outside of your sport. Sport is something that you do. It's not who you are. Um, and I think, you know, this has been a kind of a groundbreaking Olympics in so many ways. And, and Simone Miles is, is, is a big reason for that. Yeah, it uh, really is. Um... Let's move on then and, and talk about some of your choices for the Culture Club. And we might begin with um, the first single you ever bought. What was that? So the first single I ever bought was Everybody Backstreet's Back by the Backstreet Boys. Um, <laughs> Classic. It, it, was, it really is. Yeah, it was 1997. I was 10 years old and I'd seen the video, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's kind of a, a thriller ripoff in yeah. a way. Um the lads, their, their tour bus breaks down and they're forced to spend the night in a haunted house. And uh, over the course of the, of the video, they all kind of turn into monsters. So one of them turns into a vampire. Another one is a mummy. Another one is a Frankenstein. Um, and I saw this video and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And this was obviously pre, pre-YouTube. So I had to tune into Top 30 Hits uh, on Network 2 every week to kind of catch a glimpse of it. But um, the song itself, it felt very kind of dark and dangerous to me at the time you know definitely compared to the other pop music that was being marketed to to 10 year olds um so i went into my my local music shop in ross gray to to buy the cd single um but i think i, I kind of stand by it you know as, as 90s pop singles go it's 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 a good one uh it's good fun it has a great bass line and anytime I hear it kind of on a, on a 90s nostalgia playlist, I still I still really enjoy it. Well, look, let's have a listen. Let's bring you back to 1997. This is the first single you ever bought. It's Everybody by Backstreet Boys. Everybody, yeah. Rock your body, yeah. Everybody, yeah. Rock your body, Again. Brother, sisters, everybody sang. Gonna bring the flame, I'll show you how. Got a question for you, better answer now. 
I tell you what, Emer, that's uh, brought me back. A uh, touch of PTSD <laughs> kicked in there, bringing me back to a, a sweaty dance floor, a youth disco in, in Gort in County Galway back in the day. But let's let's move on and let's talk about an album that you describe as the soundtrack to your college days. What's your favourite album? So my favourite album is Illinois by Sufjan Stevens. And I, I'm a huge fan of Sufjan. I think he's one of the most multi-talented musicians out there. Um, he kind of does a bit of everything from instrumental stuff to electronica, folk music, rock music. And th- this album came out in, in 2005. I think I was in my second year of college and it just completely blew me away. Um, it's, it's a concept album, basically, all about the history of the state of Illinois. And it's part of Sufjan's 50 States project. So he kind of proposed this back in the 2000s that he would make an album about all 50 states in America and so he brought out Michigan in 2003, which is his home state, and then followed it up with Illinois two years later. But it's been stalled ever since. He only got, ever got to do the, the, the two albums in the 50 States Project. But um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a fantastic album. It's lyrically brilliant. Um, you know, there's songs in there about UFO sightings, about, um, you know, infamous Chicago serial killers, there's like references to, to Abraham Lincoln and Superman. And um, my favorite song on the album is, is called Casimir Pulaski Day, which is a, a local holiday in Illinois. But it's about losing a friend to, to terminal illness. And it's a, an absolutely beautiful song. Okay. And I think as well, like, um, I think musically, it's, it's very ambitious as well. You know, it, it, it sounds at times like a Broadway musical um, with a full orchestra behind it. And at other times, it's like a very pared back folk album. Uh, so it has a bit of everything and I think it's it's impossible to, to get tired of it. Well, let's let's have a listen to one of those uh, tunes from your favourite album. This is Chicago from Illinois, 2005 by Sufjan Stevens.
that's um, a very interesting step up from the child or the song that reminded you of your childhood days in Ross Cray. <laughs> and your choice for favourite band is also an interesting one. And you were torn on this one. I was really torn, yeah. Um, I had a lot of contenders. Sofian was definitely one. Um, Arcade Fire, Bell and Sebastian. And kind of in more recent years, I've really gotten into Taylor Swift. But um, ultimately, I felt I had to go with with you 2 um, a band that kind of dominated my teenage years in a lot of ways, um, which is a, obviously a very formative time for developing your, your musical taste. Um, so I suppose that the, the best of compilations had just come out and I was completely just enraptured by them. And every time I had a birthday or some extra cash, I would go and, and get something from their back catalogue. And uh, even that was was a real thrill, just getting into a band that had such an extensive back catalogue to, to, to be explored. Yeah. So, um, and when you talk I, about I timeless, I, when you talk about timeless songs, like you two would have such a back catalogue of timeless songs. You know, I'd be a big fan of theirs as well, but particularly their older stuff. You know, a lot of the albums that have come out in recent years, I haven't really appealed to me, to be honest. I'd agree with you there. Yeah, I, I, I had pretty much stopped listening to them altogether. Um, but when when lockdown started, I found myself going back and kind of seeking out the familiarity of, of, of those albums where I, I know every single note of them. And uh, I'd have to say that my, my favourite U2 era is, is 90s U2. Uh, I just think Acton Baby is a perfect album. Um, Zeropa has some great songs, like Lemon is one of my favourite U2 songs. And I think even Pop, even though it, it was kind of derided when it first came out, I think it's a lot more interesting than people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I agree with you. I kind of wish they'd do another experimental phase, like the 90s, instead of the kind of the very safe stadium rock that they're doing at the moment yeah but um yeah they're a band i just i just i hear their influence everywhere you know they're kind of the, the lens through which i understand music and uh, yeah. so like i'll be listening to to arcade fire or coldplay and i'll kind of think that sounds like a u2 song you know yeah <laughs> well let's listen to a u2 song this is from 87 and it's a very familiar tune to us all where the streets have no name Well 
I've never seen them live. I don't know if you have. And if you have, would they have been the best gig you were at or, or who was? I did. I saw you two live in 2005, I think, on the Vertigo tour in Croke Park. And wow. it was a very good, really good gig. Um, but it wasn't my choice for my best ever gig that I was ever at. Um, that was Bon Iver at Forbidden Fruit in 2017 um, in Kilmainham. And it, it, it's a funny one because it started off really badly. Um, I'd been at a literary festival on Inishbofen the day before where we'd had a lovely time, glorious weather. And driving across to Dublin, the heavens opened and it started to lash rain. And we'd completely forgotten to kind of pack for our festival. So when we got there, it felt like everybody else had, was wearing ponchos or very sensible North Face rain jackets. And we were basically wearing cotton hoodies and we got absolutely soaked and were miserable for the first couple hours and um I remember we went into a tent at one stage to watch uh Flying Lotus who was really really good and we were nearly tempted to stay there for the night because at least it was there was a roof over our heads you know um but we had come we had gotten the tickets to see Bon Iver, so we, we we came out eventually and it was just electric um it was so good Justin Vernon's voice was even better live than on the record and it was just one of those gigs where like you could feel the vibrations of the music kind of in your clavicle you know um yeah. and and the, the weather was was terrible the band even lost power for five or ten minutes in the middle of the gig but uh it, it barely made a dent in the atmosphere it was just absolutely spellbinding it didn't dampen and, um, your spirits by the sounds but let's have uh, a listen <laughs> this is bon Iver, and this is an acoustic version of skinny love What about your favourite movie, Emer? What would that be? My favourite movie is The Master, um, which is Paul Thomas Anderson's follow-up to There Will Be Blood. And I think it's even better than There Will Be Blood. Um, I'm a huge Philip Seymour Hoffman fan, uh, one of my favourite actors, and, and one of the inspirations actually for Benjamin Crow, who's the kind of the tragic poet figure in, in Holding Her Breath. And I think this is one of his best performances. Um, he plays a kind of a, a terrifying charismatic cult leader uh, who is loosely based on L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology. And Joaquin Phoenix plays 
uh, a World War II veteran who kind of gets swept up in the cults and ends up becoming Hoffman's right hand man. And the movie's just all about their their complicated relationship. Um, both of them are incredible in it. I- Amy Adams is in it as well as as Hoffman's wife, and she's kind of a Lady Macbeth figure. Uh, she's also really really good in it. But it's just a, a kind of a fascinating, tense, eerie film. Uh, it has such a particular atmosphere to it, and kind of feels like its own universe and I, I've seen it several times and, and with every watch I kind of pick up on something different in yeah, it. Yeah it's one of those it's one of those movies isn't it and um, I, I adore Philip Seymour Hoffman as well and we have a clip here of the man himself this is in Paul Thomas Anderson's 2012 film The Master <laughs> Well <laughs> I find it quite difficult to comprehend or more to the point believe that you believe sir that time travel hypnosis therapy can bring world peace and cure cancer. I have never been to the pyramids, have you? No. And yet we know that they are there. Because learned men have told us so. May I ask, what is your name? John Moore. Mr. Moore, if I may. Is there something frightening to you about the causes travels into the past? Frightening? Yes. No. no. What, what's, what, what scares you so much about traveling into the past, sir? I'm not Are you afraid that we might discover that our past has been reshapen, perverted, and perhaps what we think we know of this world is false information? Time travel does not frighten me, sir, because it's not possible. What does frighten me is the possibility of some poor soul of oh, leukemia oh, there are dangers coming to in you. traveling in and out of time, as we understand it. But it's not unlike traveling down a river, you see. You travel down the river, round the bend, look back, and you cannot see around the bend, can you? But that does not mean it is not there, does it? But certain clubs would like us to think that a truth, I say truth, uncovered should stay hidden. I belong to no club. And if you're unwilling to allow any discussion... No, this isn't a discussion, it's a grilling. There's nothing I can do for you if your mind has been made up. You seem to know the answers to your questions. Why do you ask? I'm sorry you're unwilling to defend your beliefs in any kind of rational way. Oh, if, if, you, if, you, if, if you already know the answers to your questions, then why ask? You mentioned earlier, and um, we were talking about Sufjan Stevens, uh, his almost theatrical qualities in the music. What would be your favourite musical or play? This is probably a really uh, popular choice, but Hamilton. Um, Hamilton's one of those shows that I, I've seen it twice now on stage and I've obviously watched the the filmed version on Disney Plus. But it's one of those shows that I, I knew every song inside out before I ever saw it performed. Um, I, I started listening to the soundtrack one day uh, about five or six years ago. I just moved house and I had a lot of flat packs to assemble. So I put it on in the background and I, I just loved it. Um, I think it, it, it tells a really complicated story from American history with such efficiency and wit and incredible characters and it's basically an underdog story about ambition and legacy and um, musically you know at times it sounds like Destiny's Child or Beyonce other times it sounds like uh, Biggie Smalls or Mob Deep or Busta Rhymes and there's just a lovely optimism to it I think Um, the optimism of the Obama era I would say Um, you know down to the casting of actors of colour in the roles of the the white founding fathers to the, the kind of the pro-immigration message throughout. And there's a real sense in it, I think, of, of history being kind of reclaimed for a contemporary audience. 
so yeah, I, I really love Hamilton. Yeah, and it's 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 actually a very popular choice on the Last Words Culture <laughs> Club. Um, let's move on because I'm 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 always really interested in knowing what a writer's favorite book or author is. You know, what would you say is yours? So my favorite book is Amy Hempel's Collected Stories, and Amy Hempel is an American short story writer. She's kind of revered in the States, but probably not as well known over here. And she has written, I think, five collections of short stories since the 1980s. So kind of roughly one a decade. So she really takes her time. And uh, she's kind of resisted the, the the pressure, I suppose, to write a novel, because I think a lot of writers are kind of told, if you, if you write a book of short stories, you're kind of expected to follow it up with a novel. But she is one of those rare writers who is just very committed to the, the short story form. Um, and some of her stories are only a couple of pages long or a couple of paragraphs long. She's kind of from that minimalist school of writers like um, Raymond Carver or Tobias Wolfe. But she can achieve more, I suppose, in a few pages than, than a lot of writers do in a novel. And um, it's just it's it's a brilliant book. And anytime I, I feel myself at a, at a low ebb in terms of creativity, um, I find myself dipping into it for inspiration. So she's a brilliant writer. Well, let's have a listen to your inspiration. This is Amy Hempel reading from her own work. They knew me as one who spoke no Spanish, who could say only si, si, when someone said about a dog I was walking, que lindo, and when a thuggish guy approached too fast, then said, that's a handsome dude. Look how we exploded another stereotype in a neighborhood recovering from itself. They knew us as the ones who had no time for the argument that caring about animals means you don't also care about people. One of us did. Evelyn a pediatrician who treated abused children. They knew us as the ones who got tetanus shots and rabies shots, the latter still a series but no longer in the stomach, and who closed the bites and gashes on our arms with crazy glue. Not the medical grade, but the kind you find at hardware stores, instead of going for stitches to the ER, where we would have had to report the dog who would then be put to death. They knew us as the ones who argued the names assigned at intake, saying, who will adopt a dog named Nixon? And when Nixon's name was changed, changed to Dahmer, we ragged on them again, then just let it go when the final name assigned was O.G., original gangster. There was always a baby on one of the wards, so that staff could write on the kennel card, no one puts baby in the corner. And they finally stopped using precious, after a senior kennel worker said of a noble, aged Roddy, I fucking hate this name, but this is a good dog. Your favourite TV show sounds like another trip down memory lane. Tell us, what was E. Ryan List or watching at 14 years of age? <laughs> uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, I, I quickly became obsessed with this show when I came across it in my teens. Um, it, it just seemed to have everything that I was interested in. It had a a kind of a very rich, interesting lore to it. Um, it had action and horror and kind of twists and turns in the narrative. Uh, it had a doomed romance between between Buffy the Slayer and Angel the Vampire. And it had a lot of humor and irony as well and kind of um, a lot of self-awareness. It kind of, it leaned into its own cheesiness, but um, could also be very profound on, on what it is to grow up and battle your demons and, and find your place in the world. And... I, I've watched it kind of periodically, you know, right up into adulthood. And Buffy is just such a resilient character. You know, no matter what happens, she she just keeps fighting. And that's something that I that I really love about the show. 
Okay. Um, we are almost out of time, but um, as a radio man, I can't let you go without asking what your favourite podcast is. My favourite podcast is You Must Remember This, which is a history podcast about Hollywood in the 20th century. And it's hosted by Karina Longworth, who's a film historian. And she's also married to the director, Ryan Johnson. So she's kind of a Hollywood insider as well. And each season of the show is kind of a, a deep dive into a different Hollywood story. So there's one series about Charles Manson's Hollywood, which is about the Manson murders and the, the many kind of Hollywood connections that, that he had. And another series is uh, called Dead Blondes, which is about the, the short lives of, of various Hollywood pinups like Marilyn Monroe, Jean Harlow, Dorothy Stratton. Um, but it's, it's, it's a really interesting podcast. You learn a huge amount from it, but it's also really good fun. And her, Karina's narration is really kind of funny and camp. And you feel like you're kind of listening to an old school Hollywood insider tell you all the gossip. So it's a very good podcast. OK, um, unfortunately, we have come to the end of our Culture Club, uh, the end of the show indeed. Emer, thank you so much for taking us on your cultural journey. I've really enjoyed listening to all of your choices and I commend your bravery for exposing yourself as a Backstreet Boys fan on national radio. You're very welcome to our Culture Club and the very best of luck with your debut novel, Holding Her Breath. 